mixed emotions To you, so I'm not immune to try Since I'm bringing all my heart Reaching out, reaching out Welcome to episode 8 of The Happiness Journey. We are a group of sustainable development goal advocates from the YMCA, giving a young person perspective on the COVID-19 pandemic. On this episode, we speak about the government formation talks and how we feel about the proposed programme for government, and what it is like to be LGBTQ plus in Ireland in 2020. As this is the happiness chair, we will finish, as always, with a number of happy stories. Without further ado, enjoy the happiness chair. So as we begin every week with the check-in. So everyone, take a big deep breath for yourselves. How are we feeling in this moment before we begin? Hi everyone, um, I'm Mark and today I'm feeling pretty good actually. Um, it's in Cork, it's, the weather is really, really good today. It, the sun is out so I managed to get out for my walk today and I have some fresh air. I met up with one or two friends so I'm getting back to a bit more of a sociable life and meeting with a small few people. So I'm feeling pretty good. Hey everyone, I'm Alicia. Um, same, I'm down in Cork and enjoying the lovely weather. Um, and yeah, it's been a good day. Hi everyone, I'm Alicia. Uh, close to Alicia, but not quite. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really good today. The sun was out, um, and unlike yesterday, that meant that I could, you know, sleep through because there wasn't rain pelleting at my window. So I'm good. I'm well rested. And that's the main thing. If anyone who knows me, if I don't know my sleep, then that's what makes my day bad. So <laughs> I'm great today. Um, hi, yeah. Um, I'm Maya. I'm feeling pretty good today. Yeah, likewise. Nice weather, good vibes. It's all good. Great. Hello, everyone. I'm John. I'm feeling quite tired today, actually. Um, been trying to get up early and do a lot of stuff this week and so it's kind of with work as well it's kind of getting to me at the moment but feeling good but tired so that's how i am so everyone we shall start i think the first thing is the news that has really broke just in the last few days is that the government government formation that has just happened that the greens fina gale and fina fall have agreed to come into government together and have just uh, published a plan for government how do we feel about this? When I read the plan, I was like, okay, this looks pretty good. But then again, haven't a lot of the things that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have proposed in the last year or two years or three years or four years seemed quite good or quite progressive in a way. And then it just hasn't happened or hasn't happened to the extent that it was things were promised to happen. So I think it's just the leadership within those parties is something that I'm skeptical about considering especially the people voted to see a difference like in the numbers it kind of seemed like we were headed a different way um but obviously a coalition couldn't be made or a deal couldn't be found so yeah I, i'm hopeful i hope that these um promises are kept but again i also have um i'm kind of not a fan of the leadership that has been in place the last few years and I think it's just going to be another version of that. Alicia, if I do agree that there that there was a real push to change and I think that the Irish people showed they wanted a change and I think that 
now will have to inform what Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Greens do. But I do also think that something that isn't often said is that a good two-thirds of people did vote for Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil. So there is a majority of people did actually vote for them from the seats. Um, what was incredible was the huge shift to the left, um, which I'm happy to have been part of that huge shift to the left because I would like things to become more left. But I do also think we always must keep in mind that when people say this is betraying the vote, it's it's not. It's just it isn't going for the wave we wanted. It's still the majority are still kind of having what they want. I think the issue with like, like I know like that me and Alicia like we all understand like the like the PR system here and like and how like you said like I think was it like fifty three percent voted Fianna Fáil Fianna Gael, um mm. and like that's that's fine because it can go like coalitions minority governments can go any way it depends on government talks but I do think that there is an ignorance with like just you know. When the shift to the left was so almost historic in a way, um, and for them to not even look at Sinn Fein throughout the talks and to like completely disregard that sort of shift um, at the voting ballot, I think it's it's wrong, especially when a couple of weeks ago you had Michal Martin saying he would never go into government with Leo Bradker, and then suddenly when he becomes Taoiseach, he does want to. Um, so it's I think that's that's what I would question out of out of that sort of coalition like leaving Sinn Fein out with that shift dynamic. Um, I would also question to say this to leaving Sinn Fein out, because I'll be honest, I haven't seen Sinn Fein pushing to form a government. They haven't. Sinn Fein could push to form a government. They had the numbers, it would have been a very weak coalition. But if they went people for profit, Greens and a load of independents, they could have formed a government. It would have been a very weak government, but they still could have. I think Sinn Féin are playing the long game and wanting to hold out for the next government, which I is politically a good idea. But I, I don't know. I feel in a way as if they should have been more forceful. You know, they should have followed their electorate. You know, I don't know. Yeah, but on the other hand, like now we have a really strong opposition as well. Yes, um, which is good. Which is a good thing. Mark? Um, For me, I think I'm quite curious. Um, I like that. I'm curious about the rotation Taoiseach. I'm curious about what (laughs) the cabinet will be. I mean, there's there's still so many. He's your neighbour, Mark. (laughs) What? I mean, there's still so many. He's your neighbour. <laughs> there's still so many unanswered questions, but I think, I mean, I think for me, it's, it, it certainly feels a small bit different than it did before. Mm. Um, and maybe that's just with everything that's been going on the last couple of months. But I'm, I think, although I'm slightly nervous, I'm slightly excited as well to see what will happen over the next couple of months. I feel the change too, Mark. Um, there was, if you ever listened to Callan t- Callan's kicks on um, RT Radio One. I'll recommend it to you all. Proper political satire. Hilarious. But what they were saying, oh, it's magnificent. Um, What they were saying the whole, during this whole pandemic has been that Fine Gael have been robbing all of their policies from Sinn Féin. Um, And 
to be honest, it's kind of true. All of like <laughs> the COVID payment, all of this, it's true. And in my mind, I don't really care who put forward policies of the left as long as policies of the left are put forward. Do you know? If Sinn Féin, the big spike in Sinn Féin can be enough to push Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil to the left, I'm quite happy with that. Yeah, and I think, to be fair, the, the programme for government is, like, although it is lengthy and wordy and <laughs> in some parts extremely excessive information doesn't need to be there, um, mm. it actually is amazing. Like, I was reading through it, like, one of the, one of the points that I would have hit out was, you know, they were looking at introducing free contraception for women. I think it was, it's definitely 17. Um, I think it might have been up to 35, but I'm not sure, but it's definitely 17 up. Um, and just some amazing points about climate change and climate action mm. and um, actually giving more power to local governments um, and a lot as well on like planning permissions, which I think is a, a major part and also introducing an environment court, which I think is really interesting. Um, really? I hadn't read that. Yeah. So the environment court. Oh, yeah, like, I like that. Yeah. An environment court with like special judges who would be, um, you know, it, more so educated on the on environmental law and issues than normal judges because like I know down here when the um, protect our kelp campaign happened like the judge really didn't know a lot about the about kelp as uh, which was the main issue um, and was comparing mechanically extracting kelp to plucking weeds from a garden so like I'm fully in favour of, yeah, (laughs) so I'm fully in favour of an environment court happening. I remember that so vividly. It was amazing. (laughs) I remember just like hearing that and being like, wow. This is madness. I wish people could see me when I heard there was an environment court. I actually started pumping my fist in the air, smiling big and bright, because we do not enforce environmental law in this in this country mm-hmm. nor wildlife crime oh, we just don't and so this is a good step forward maya that's it is really good i'm yeah i i think it's really really good if it happens um i'm just very aware that you know when ireland declared you know there was a climate emergency um, uh, yeah they declared that was happening and then what else did they do um uh, but- but Maya, so, we do know just... that the climate emergency was only basically declared because a green TD put it into the, put it in during the doll. There was nine people in there and it passed unopposed. It yeah, wasn't, see, that's kind of that's what the issue. I'm getting at, though. Um, mm. Although they're putting these ideas in, um, are they actually going to do them? They say they're committing to it, but. I've heard the government commit to so many things um, mm. and seen virtually none of it come through. Um, but I think it's great and it's really progressive that they're in there and they're even getting a seat at the table. And by all mm. means, I am for it. I would love, love, love to see these things happen. Um, but it just seems really strange that, you know, we've been talking about these issues for so long and been saying these issues for so long. And then they're suddenly appearing in, you know, this thing when there's been so much controversy about forming a government. And I don't know, I feel a little bit like, uh, I don't know, um, not pessimistic, but like a little bit suspicious. And they're like, are they just being people pleasers? Um, 
by putting it in. I really hope they do it, but are they just trying to appease people during an already quite, you know, rocky time period in people's lives? That's just me overthinking it. They probably, no, you know, yeah. that's a really that's interesting just... point. I hadn't thought about it from that standpoint. Um, I had thought about the positives that I'm really happy about, but I hadn't thought about the people pleasing. I really wouldn't think so. Like, I I think there's a certain amount of, like, stuff that's obviously said to be, you know, in that sort of correct, like, way so that, you know, the members will will, uh, will support it and, like, the general, the general kind of population behind those members. But I think, like, when it comes to, like, government talks, like, when it comes to policies, like, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are very stringent on what they agree to and what they don't agree to and like mm. like their history plays a huge factor in that so like it's actually mm. a, like it is a big thing to see a progressive document like that on the table mm. um oh that's and, and that, oh, yeah. in itself, that in itself i think is is pretty amazing it's it's cool i'm just really curious Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael's past history yeah. i would be really excited to see these things happen Mm. but looking at their past and people can change you know people can change and maybe this time period (laughs) um has really you know woken people up to some of the things that are happening there's been some really progressive discussions in the doll recently um you know maybe they've been taking time to read up and educate themselves and things like that but i don't know i always i'm always like oh will they actually but they've said it now so (laughs) By all means, I'm going to be p- picking them up and be like, hey, lads, when are you going to end direct provision? Is that, you know? But I just hope it's not like three years later and we're like, hey, do you remember that time when, uh, do you remember that really progressive document? But yeah, it's just me. I will, I will say around this, and it's something that I'm quite happy about when I thought, when I'm looking here at the um, climate change bill that's meant to be in in 2020, they said that it must be in in the first 100 days. And if, Rarely in government formation documents do you see that they commit to passing a piece of legislation. Normally it's that they commit to do something. Committing to piece of legislation means it will be in law and thus it has to be acted upon. That's what I'm really excited about seeing. I've seen a few times through this that they've been willing to put in legislation, which then means that something must happen. So that's good. And also means if it doesn't, we can hold them to account because they're breaking their own law and their own mandate, which is wonderful the other thing is and it's me thinking and me hoping because i do like the greens quite a bit i wa- i did think they were politically naive to go into government this time because of what happened when they went into Fianna Fáil last time <laughs> but what i'm hoping happened and looking at the amount of things that have come out with the environment and climate change in this the greens technically hold the balance of power at the moment which is madness to think about because Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil both need them. If they don't have the Greens, there's a new election. And so the Greens can push more firmly than they would be able to in the past. Um, I think back in history too, was it the Irish Parliamentary Party back in what, the 1890s, when they did it with, when they did it with the Whigs and the Conservatives? Um, I'm hoping they're like that and we have um, a new, a new Charles Stuart Parnell is hidden somewhere in the middle of the Greens, but. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know, but uh, it makes me happy, and, and I hope that is that is the point. 
Mark, that's the truth. And I think as well, like we've been struggling through this time with a caretaker government and mm. I'm not going to lie, if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, maybe I'd be more cautious about the whole thing or maybe, uh, I mean, I can't tell what I'd be like, but I think I would be, but I'm, I'm just happy that there that there's a program and that we possibly have a government because I think it's just ridiculous that we don't have one at this yeah. time. Oh, completely ridiculous. But it, it does show weirdly the power of the Irish constitution, which I find quite happy because imagine if we had to go to another election, uh, as would happen in another country. The amount of COVID spread would have just been terrifying. Also, the fact that we have a caretaker government, it's not good. Yet the majority of people were willing to say in the national interest, this is a necessary evil for the time being. And we're happy to go along with it. Yeah. Something that I think has been lost because of the coronavirus is how monumental Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil going into power together is. Like these are the two, basically the civil war parties, the two people who fought a civil war against each other. And if it wasn't for the coronavirus, this would be the only thing the news would be speaking about, I would say, for the next four months. Just every single day, we're talking about the ending of civil war divisions, the ending, the coming together of the two main parties. Um, what do you think around this? Yeah, so I definitely agree with you, John. I think, um, especially considering kind of, yeah, the gravity of what, you know, like historically this actually means. Um, and also, as we were speaking about earlier, the kind of the Sinn Féin perspective even the whole formation of the government in general has been obviously overshadowed by COVID and there's, that's not even a bad thing. It just is a fact, but I think it can also be said for, you know, a wider spread as well of so much other stuff that's been going on in the country that has been completely blanketed by COVID. Um, I don't know if that actually answers your question. But I just think it's interesting how something like this that is so huge and normally would be such a huge kind of feature on the headline of every kind of broadsheet in the country for weeks and weeks and weeks isn't and probably won't be until we're rid of the virus. I think it definitely is a very interesting kind of um, topic to look at. It really is. Um... It always goes back to the fact that Irish politics is strange, that we don't have a left and a right. We've always had a, a civil war divide of two parties that are basically exactly the same. <laughs> so at the moment of now, our civil war divide has ended and we have a strong left. The hell has happened to this country? <laughs> oh, it's an interesting time going forward. The programme for government has been very progressive. And the last number of years, there have been huge strides towards LGBTQ rights in Ireland. Post-COVID pandemic, what type of Ireland would we like to see for the LGBT community? Um, I think something. this is something very small. Um, but yeah. um, recently, they, um, there's very little rights for um, adopted children. Um, who are adopted through, you know, same-sex couples. And at the moment, ah, yes. um, um, you know, like, um, essentially, um, you know, 
to men who are partners, they don't have the same rights yeah. as to women who are partners who adopt a child. Um, now you can, this is my understanding of the new, um, legislation, I think that's been brought in that it's actually excluding, um, men as far as I believe, but they don't have the same rights mm. as, as, uh, to, um, to women who adopt a child, um, or their child doesn't have the same rights to parenting, parented or something, which I think is just interesting. Um, it's just interesting to note. I know there was a lot of, mm. you know, during the marriage referendum, um, you know, a lot of the posters and stuff where they're like, you know, what is a child without its mother? You know, that kind of thing. Um, mm. I don't agree with it, but that's just a personal, um, interesting thing, I thought. Well, that does go to, I think, something in wider society, um, most definitely, that in the past in Ireland, women had no rights to their children. It was the men had the rights to it. And then that's yeah. horrible. That has been changed. So now women have much more rights to their children than men do. Um, and you find that you see that often in the courts where um, majority of the time a child will be, if there's a custody battle, a child will be given to the mother rather than to the father because it's considered the mother has more rights to the child. Um, it's that the LGBT, when that comes to two men, so a gay couple, um, it's that problem gets kind of thrown completely into the light because it's like, whoa, there's something really wrong here. So um, I think there needs to be, again, with all things in society, you always have um, something's terrible on one side, it gets shifted and moves too far on the other side and it just needs mm. to get shifted back to the middle once more. And I think that's what we need to do. In the um, programme for government, they put in that they want to look back at the committee's work on reforming sex education and particularly looking at the inclusion of education on LGBTQI+. Um, and putting in, going back to what you said, John, about legislation being mentioned a lot in the programme, mm. they're saying that they'll put in legislation if needed to, to obviously make the RSE curriculum mandatory um, because obviously there'll be some schools who will avoid it. And, and well, I certainly think things have come a long way, especially kind of mm. since 2015, since the marriage referendum, there's been a huge kind of shift and increase in dialogue on LGBT rights and LGBT um, kind of issues as well that are coming up. Um, and I think a huge thing, if we're going to really protect um, the community properly, is start young with education. Like I remember growing up, I didn't know that a person could have two moms or two dads until I was about 12 and I actually made friends with somebody who had two moms you know and I was just never in our education um to learn about same-sex parents or same-sex relationships in any way and I know I did go to a I, to be fair I did go to a Catholic primary school but even then I think when we started learning about kind of like sexual health and things like this, when we were maybe 11 or 10 or 11, it never mentioned, you know, it's like, oh, you might have a boyfriend one day or something like that. But it never mentioned, you know, it's okay to have feelings for somebody the same sex as you, or, you know, it's okay to feel a certain way as well. It was very heteronormative. Um, 
So I think that if things are going to change um, in a positive sense, to be more accepting, um, it has to start kind of from a younger age, just kind of putting in that dialogue about um, LGBT, you know, families or something like that, like starting young. And then in secondary school, like I got basically near to none sex ed, but definitely not a mention of LGBT sex ed in any way. And I think that was a huge shame, especially like a, a lot of my friends who were part of the LGBT community found it very, very difficult. And it, then you turn to learning, you know, um, about sex online, which is mm. not going to help you no. in the long run. And not to That's mention not learning about relationships. You might be able to, you know, learn about sex from your friends or whatever, which isn't incredibly reliable. Again, but no. you know, more complicated, you know, very complex stuff like relationships or, you know, um, yeah, like coming out to your parents or something like this. It was never ever talked about. Um, and I think that in order to kind of make strides in the right direction, that has to start happening, and it has to be mandatory, and it has to be soon. <laughs> I I agree with 99% of that, except for the fact that I don't know if sex ed should be taught in primary schools. I'm not too sure on that one myself. We most definitely need it in secondary school because the sex ed I got was non-existent um, and it's, it's needed badly in society. Um, so yeah, so I think heavy in secondary school, but I don't know if I would agree in primary school. Um, I think in areas of primary school, I think areas of sex ed that um, would be relevant would be um, surrounding consent. And also like, you know, how Alicia was talking about, you know, families with um, same-sex parents, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, because if you start introducing the idea that that is okay, um, that someone might have two moms two dads you know that kind of thing um earlier on the earlier you introduce that idea the more okay people are going to be with it like my family like my um close friends of our family um there was people who were gay there was people who were trans and from an early age it was just something that was just commonplace and something i was used to and by the time i got to 12 i didn't even question it it was just like oh yeah that's another person um and in the area of like consent, I think you can talk, discuss this area so easily in just like a very simple thing, like, hey, don't touch someone unless, you know, they're okay with it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, or just, it's kind of just like normal decency, I feel a little bit. Like, you know, there's those kind of gender norms and gender stereotypes that are enforced in a lot of national schools, like the girls, don't play soccer with the boys, you know, that kind of thing. I feel like kind of more of a inclusive um, kind of introduction like that would really help benefit people when they come to, you know, you know, fifth and sixth class where in Ireland stereotypically sex ed is taught. Um, I think, I think it still needs to be taught in, in primary school in fifth and sixth, definitely because you need it at that time, but it definitely needs to be more inclusive. Um, like we had, I think a nun come in and be like, Hey, so the girls are going to stay inside for this part. And, um, all the lads, you're going to go outside and play soccer for a bit. Um, and like, 
it's just not inclusive. It was so like focused on um, men and women and like didn't even address the idea of anything else other than sex. And like there's so much more to sex ed than just the sex part. Um, in my mm-hmm. opinion anyway. And like I had a similar like I think as well like it's changing because of technology and like because topics like porn come up in people's lives at such an early age now. Like I think the the most common age for like a, a young boy, their first time they'll see porn is most likely to be like from like age 11, which is a scary concept, but like it's a new reality and it's not like you're going to go in, you know, it's, it's about having age appropriate sexual education. And like, I know when like similar to you, Maya, like when we first learned about like had the talk in uh in sixth class um or even in fifth class uh it was like terrifying and then they like took the guys out of the room and we were learning about like menstruation and and it was just like why is that happening like why and and I'd love to know if it still happens in my school but I'm not sure but I know it happened to a lot of people where the boys and girls were separated and it's things like that as well that that need to be changed because I mean, you like there's kind of a I mean, I'm not saying all men, (laughs) but there's kind of a thing around menstruation with women. And then it's like, where did that stem from? Well, probably because no one ever thought that men would want to know about this. So we took them out of the room like, and now they don't know what what actually happens. Alicia, try growing up in a household of two sisters and a mother. There is no way you're not going to learn about menstruation. Yeah, well, you see, this is it. (laughs) Believe me, like... But I bet you have no problem, like, talking about it, right? Like, to a certain degree, like, I bet you you don't feel awkwardness. No, no bother at all, like... And and I think there's a lot of guys who feel awkwardness talking about it, and it's actually not their fault. It's because the education system, the sex education system in this country has has failed Mm. to to teach them about something that they should be entitled to know about, but they was taken away from. And John, like, I, I'm, I, I'm the opposite where I come from a household where there's only one woman and it's mostly a male household. I mean, and although mm-hmm. I, I am perfectly confident talking about um, sex ed, a lot of people in my position wouldn't be because they wouldn't grow up around this. That, that does make a lot of sense, man. Um, I'm also just thinking that it has to do with, I think, biology as well. So doing biology in secondary school, um, you learn about a lot of this, but from a purely scientific point of view. Um, so again, I think that is beneficial, but I also think that uh, you need to speak about it from not just a purely biological point of view, a more of much more kind of holistic sex ed point of view. So I think that's why another reason why I'm kind of so comfortable as well as living in a family where it's if I was uncomfortable about it it would be very strange and I would not survive I think it's I think it's very important to acknowledge how far Ireland has come in the last number of years regarding LGBTQ plus rights would anyone like to speak about this I think when talking about the progress that Ireland has made and will continue to make it's important to uh, recognize that we must con- keep making progress and that something like LGBTQ rights and the LGBTQ plus community 
we'll never we should never settle for oh this is done it's all we always must make continuous imp- uh, improvements and continuous progress um throughout the years so it, will, it, will, it will never be something that we can say oh we've made enough change we just have to keep making the change throughout the years although we've made so much progress so far there's still so much to do i mean, I mean we have come so far but we must just remember that we, there's still so far to go as well I I agree that there's always more to do and there's we always need to go much um further with this but I do think it's very important to recognize that in 1993 being gay in Ireland was a criminal offense you could have gone to prison for it and now in 2015 gay gay marriage was legalized that's an incredible change in a society over a short period of time. It is, and even if you look at, you know, the way Ireland is going at the moment in, you know, comparison to our neighbour, um, the UK, um, which is actually backpedalling in terms of, um, especially within trans rights, it's really interesting that such a small country that was so far behind for so long has, you know, really stepped up um and really kind of made there there is an effort to make things more inclusive in Ireland um it's i think it's 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 nice to be in a country that there is that kind of progress in um cuz i know i have friends of mine who have come from other countries where you know being part of the lgbt community is you know punishable by death um so mm-hmm. to look at Ireland and see for such a small country that is so predominantly that was, you know, kind of quite far behind for quite a while to see how far we've come is is quite nice. It really is. And we do often forget in a way how blessed we are at times um, and how and when you speak about how there's some countries in the world where to be um part of the lgbt community you will you could be killed or you could be imprisoned whereas it's just i think it's fantastic sometimes we just have to be in a way grateful and to be like lads we've done we've done good work there's more to do but we've done good work and we should be proud of ourselves for it but never stop fighting for more Exactly. Um, one thing which I don't, uh, this is a little bit of a negative, but um, yeah. are, you know, the Northern Ireland, we're very lucky in the Republic of Ireland to be quite yes. progressive. Um, for people in Northern Ireland, they are completely left behind um, because the Republic can't, isn't, they don't have any of the rights of the Republic, but they don't really have a lot of rights under the UK either. And they're kind of a forgotten about, not touched by kind of part of the UK, um, well, technically part of the UK, but they're also part of, you know, we're, we're on the same land, we're a community, we're, we're, yes. yeah, I don't know how everyone feels, but for myself, my friends in the Northern Ireland, I, I really feel for them because, you know, they really rallied for us, um, in our referendums and when, you know, when we were pushing, busloads of people came down to support and protest. I really hope that in soon to come time that we will return that solidarity and that support for our friends in Northern Ireland. 
And as well, I think it's always it's important to point out that in Ireland it was by a popular by a popular vote. In Northern Ireland, it was because the UK government basically forced it on the Assembly in Northern Ireland, and said that if the Assembly didn't reform, gay marriage would go through. The Assembly didn't reform, thus gay marriage went through, or reform as in came back into being rather than reformed itself. If you know what I'm trying to say. The joys of English and having one word having multiple multiple meanings. In Northern Ireland at this moment, though, hasn't gay is it gay marriage or was it civil partnership was legalized recently? It was gay marriage was legalized in Northern Ireland. What does it mean to be gay in Ireland in twenty twenty? So um, I actually spoke to a few friends of mine um about this, and I have three testimonials about um how kind of things have progressed in the, in the last number of years and how comfortable they feel basically in their own, in their community now. Um, so the first is a friend of mine, Kit, and he's 20 and he identifies as a transgender man. And he said in 2015, it was a fantastic year for the LGBTQ plus community in terms of acceptance, both socially and legally. The gender recognition bill, which allowed persons of the age 16 to 18 to be acknowledged as their preferred gender, regardless if they had started hormone therapy, was huge. He felt this was a breath of fresh air. It meant that I would be safer and in a better position to encounter straightforward situations like airport security, bank card renewals, and other bureaucratic business without fear of making uncomfortable explanations and heightening social anxiety levels. Raising awareness about trans issues has helped acceptance in Ireland hugely. So I absolutely loved hearing that from Kit. And Vicky, who's also 20 and identifies as a lesbian woman, said, I remember the narrow-minded Ireland that I grew up in and how afraid I was to be myself. Change didn't really begin until the marriage referendum, which wasn't even that long ago. But in the last five years, the rate of acceptance towards the LGBTQ plus community has felt exponential. exponential. We still have room to grow. Which, such as including LGBTQ plus education in our schools, for example, but I definitely feel proud, even lucky, to be able to witness this change in Irish society as it grows to be more inclusive and diverse than ever before. And last but definitely not least, uh, Sean, who's 22 and identifies as a gay man, said, I feel that the minority of ignorant people don't represent the majority of people who accept the community. Even though, as an openly gay man, I've experienced homophobia positive interactions and experiences are the ones that I hold with me, as I know deep down the majority of people in this country will accept me and don't care whether I'm gay or not. We've made massive strides since decriminalizing homosexuality in 1993. So I thought those were just some really positive um, kind of viewpoints on how far we have come and acknowledging that there still is a lot of change that has to take place in the years to come. Um, but that especially in the five years that have passed, things really have seen a lot of positive change. Those are very beautiful. Thank you, Alicia. As, as this is the happiness chair, it is time for us to put our happy stories into our virtual happiness chair. So, Alicia, what do you have for a virtual happiness chair today? So this week, um, I met my brother for the first time since March 2nd, um, which is crazy. And he got a new dog as well uh, called Billy. Oh, lovely. And 
I was kind of sad though because <laughs> like he was sending me pictures and like when he was like really really small like a pup and now he's like okay he's still small but like he's not a pup pup anymore so I was kind of disappointed but but yeah it was really cute and um yeah it was nice to see him again that was wonderful fantastic Mark what do you have for a virtual happiness journey um, this week I don't have a physical thing to put in our virtual happiness jam. What I do have is a happiness feeling. Um, definitely for me again, the weather the last couple of days has made me very happy. I can feel it lifting my energy and lifting the energy of people around me. So that is definitely what has made me happy over the last couple of days and even the last week, being able to see people actually out and about and going back to a small bit of their normal routine. And just be able to be out in the, the sunshine, I think. That was really beautiful, Mark. Thank you. You put a smile on my face telling me that story. Maya, what do you have for a virtual virtual happiness chair? I ate birthday cake um, today at my cousin's. And we didn't just have cake, we had ice cream as well. That sounds magnificent. Okay. Myself, today, I made elderflower wine last night. Um, so I'm I'm very happy. I have to wait another four, uh, about ten weeks, maybe four to ten weeks before I can drink it when it's fermented. So that has made me very happy. I also made some cordial, so that can be drank right next two days. So um, that is what has made me quite happy in the last few days. This week, for our happy story from around the world, it's actually a very personal one and close to home. I am getting fibre broadband. And this will be magnificent because at the moment everyone has had to deal with my internet cutting in and out every few minutes and it has made making this podcast more difficult than it should have been. So, the happy story, John gets fibre broadband. Thank you everyone for you beautiful, wonderful people for this wonderful podcast. So enjoy the rest of your day. Goodbye everyone. Bye. Bye. YMCA services will continue to be available to you throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, including the new online information chat service. If you were looking for information about anything or just want to have a chat with someone, YMCA youth information staff are available to talk it through and get you an answer. Youth information helpline is available from 2pm to 4pm Monday to Saturday at 023 44009. That's 023-88-44009. Online youth information chat is available from 4pm to 8pm Monday to Friday at ymca-ireland.net forward slash question. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at Voices. Please follow the official guidelines to stay safe and you'll find lots of advice and tips on how you can look after your mental well-being, stay active and stay connected at gov.ie forward slash together. This is a very difficult time for us all. Thank you for listening to the Happiness Jar podcast. Look after yourselves and stay safe. <laughs>